Hey everybody, Joe McCall here and Alex Youngblood. How are you doing, Alex? Good, man. How are you? <laughs> Real good. We have a special guest with us, Sean McCloskey from St. Louis. Go Cards! And uh, just wanted to... <laughs> Uh, I'm really excited about Sean, uh, having him on the show here. Sean's one of my coaches through Life and Air, and I've known Sean for quite a few years. I consider him a good friend. Uh, we have kids similar in age. We always go back and forth about whose kids are cuter. I think mine are. <laughs> and, uh, but, if only by volume. <laughs> well, uh, so anyway, um, uh, so excited to have Sean on here. Sean's a, an expert in short sales. And, but he's done a ton of other deals. Um, he's still active in real estate. His passion right now is obviously uh, God and family. Uh, but he's doing a lot of uh, coaching through Life in there. And he's helping him and Steve Cook are really impacting a lot of lives. They've impacted my life and uh, a lot of friends that I have in the Life in Air coaching program. Uh, by the way, I'm wearing the Life in Air shirt. If you can see on this video on our, on our wow. website, brown nosing. No, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the the cool thing about what, what Sean's doing with Life in there, it, and I hope he shares some of his story in this interview, is kind of um, he had a real successful business, um, employees, tons of business coming in and out the door, um, but it was so stressful, he finally decided, I just need to simplify my life a little bit and get my life back, and uh, hopefully Sean will talk about that, but first, Alex... You had an interesting call the other day from a seller. Tell us about that. I think this would be good to talk yeah. about. Well, it's, it's actually today, right before we jumped on this call. Um, oh, yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> you had a seller telling me that he wants to um, sell me the place for what he owes on it and um, wants to live there rent-free till he dies. So basically, I take over the mortgage payments. Um, he's got no payments until he dies, and I'm like, you know, this has put me in a really weird spot here, sir, you know, because, you know, I'm going to be, yeah. And he says I mean, he's, can, he can die any day now. Yeah, he and said he, he can die any day. He's on borrowed time right now. The doctor like, said. Um, about what time are you thinking? <laughs> and I said that. I said, sir, you put me in a really weird spot here. You know, I don't, I just don't know it. <laughs> If I really want to be in this position, <laughs> wow! You know, so, so this, how much equity does he have actually, in this house? Well, it's um, he said he says he owes about one twenty five or one twenty four. A tax assessment is one ninety seven, mm -hmm. so roughly two hundred thousand. I've got to really go back and look at the comps and see what you know what what's really what. Um, but if it say it's worth. 189, 190, and he owes 125 after transactional costs and whatever. You're probably in it at like 130. So that's like a $60,000 spread. Yeah. But you got to count how long you're going to be making these mortgage payments. Um, and and another factor is the place is already supposedly fixed up into excellent shape, like he said, within the last two years. Windows, roof, siding, brand new HVAC system. Um, beautiful kitchen with an island in it. He actually called it a peninsula. Well, I guess I don't know. If, <laughs> it, are there are there peninsulas that go in kitchens, or are they just islands? Right, maybe yeah, that's apparently in Virginia. I, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess so. But anyway, he's telling you know telling me all these good things about uh, the house. You know, like most sellers do. But I mean, it sounds like you know if the house is completely rehabbed and you have a sixty thousand dollars spread from there. 
how long is the guy going to live for before? Well, how can you verify that home? too? I mean, do you you get a I, uh, do you get a um, yeah. a doctor's? You have to get some kind of report from a doctor and how much he has to live. Or prove to me you are dying. Wow. <laughs> wow. And uh, somebody somebody in my Facebook group actually said he's kind of asking you for a reverse mortgage, and that yeah. that actually sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Basically, yeah. Like. Which he couldn't I do. Mean, well, you could he, do. He could normally not do a reverse mortgage because he doesn't have enough equity in his house, right? He could do a reverse mortgage because he, I mean, well, put it this way. What is it? What do they work like 80% for a reverse mortgage? I think is so. what they'll let you do? I think so. So what's 80% of 200000 let's say? So you'd have to have $160,000 in equity. Sure. Right. So he still could do it, technically. Well, no. I think he has to have 80% equity in the house. I maybe I don't know. But I got an idea, a new marketing campaign. You could do a new direct mail campaign to people who are on death's doorstep. Oh, my God. And send them. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. You could, no. you could get, make some friends at the local hospitals and try to get the names of everybody in the hospital. Wow. We. I'm just. Yeah, I'm I don't know. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> I, I can see this video on Channel 5 News later on. And Joe said it. came straight from his own mouth. <laughs> Total joke. Bad <laughs> joke. Uh, we'll see. This guy. That's, that's not me. Bad joke. Real bad joke. <laughs> so, the question is, what do you do in that situation? Do you... Um, oh, jeez. I'll let Sean answer that one. It? I'm not going to open Hope. my mouth. I mean, you're going to be hoping this guy I, kicks the bucket. It, unfortunately, <laughs> you're going to be hoping he dies. And I don't know if I want to be put in that situation. Right. Sean, what would you well, do? Well, it's you know, a weird deal because... Are you dead uh, yet? <laughs> my, I mean, my first thought was you could put something in place that it has a time limit on it or something like that. But, you know, even if, let's say, let's say you did something like a reverse mortgage type situation where it was a year later and the guy was, like, deathly sick. I mean, are you going to go in and evict the guy now because he's he's gone past his deadline? You, you got a guy who's on <laughs> ventilators and stuff, and now are you really going to kick the guy out of his house? So it's, you know, I mean, that's a... Uh, I can't say I have a solution for this one. The only thing I would suggest is that whatever you do, if you do it, it's everything, every possible scenario is discussed up front and agreed to in writing, and everything is really thought through with a timeline. With his family involved. Because, that's right, with his family involved, the other people who are going to be making the decisions, because, man, that could be a mess. Yeah, it definitely could be towards the end of it, or. And do you, you want know, to spend? Do you want to spend a thousand dollars a month on something? If like he that? lived a year and that's twelve grand, and then you're in at like one forty-two, and if you could sell it for one eighty-nine, there's still money there. Um, but then well, here's the other thing too. I mean, you know, so oftentimes we're we're taught as investors to look at the money in every situation. But the other thing I would ask is, is, is this the best scenario for him and his family? And, right. uh, you know, there might be another solution for him that doesn't require selling it to an investor where maybe he could get a reverse mortgage and, and maybe that would not only buy him the next six months or a year, but also <laughs> allow his family to sell the property after. And, you know, on one hand, I'm all about being a capitalist and making money. Uh, on the other hand, I always like to make sure that I do it 
with the family in mind. And in some cases like this, that may be the best decision for him. So he just doesn't have to worry about it. His family doesn't have to worry about it. But I would dig a little bit deeper to find out if this is the best decision for him and his family before actually going through with anything, even protected or not. Right, right. Maybe get... No, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, that's what I'm thinking, you know. Maybe get their family... first inclination is, how am I going to make money here? Cha-ching, cha-ching. But, you know, when you delve into a situation like this where it's iffy and emotionally charged and, you know, all that stuff, you definitely want to do the right thing, you know, just so you don't end up on the news. (laughs) I had a friend of mine say something one time. She said, uh, she said, you know, there's two occasions in life that brings out the weirdest personalities inside of people, uh, weddings and death. And she's right. My God, when I got married, you know, one person uh, didn't get invited to be in the wedding. I thought, I thought her head was going to come unglued. And, you know, then when someone dies, you know, and one person isn't left the house or didn't get treated a certain way beforehand, now they want to sue everybody. And, you know, all of a sudden emotions come out that wouldn't have been there before. So, you know, proceed with caution as long as everybody is under the same boat, you know, wants to go forward with it and everything's agreed to up front. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd say. Yeah, honestly, I probably wouldn't touch it, Alex. And that's what you say. Yeah, that's what I'd say. I don't want to spend a thousand bucks a month on a house that um, I'd rather, you know. It's it, it is a gamble. Yeah. It really is a gamble, you know. And then you got to take into account in a year what's the market going to be doing? Is it a declining exactly market? Right. You know, because if you got ten grand coming up this way and then ten grand coming down this yeah. way, <laughs> yep. You know, yep. And it's, that margin gets a lot thinner real quick. You're gonna have right. work to do Absolutely. to clean the house up and. But anyway, hey, I forgot to mention, guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Alex and I have an incredible bonus that we put together for you, the Fast Cash Survival Kit. Uh, We open the doors and show you my business, Alex's business, how we use virtual assistants, Um, and it's really, really awesome. We should sell that stuff, but for some reason, we decided to give it away for free. Excuse me. So go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, put your name and email in there, and we will get you that stuff. It's all online, so it's nothing we have to mail to you. But uh, Sean, tell us about yourself. You were born in, not in St. Louis, but you moved here um, recently and you got started in real estate from in St. Louis. Is that right? So, well, I mean, sort of recently. I, I like to think it's recently because I moved here in high school, but uh, I'm now okay. 36 years old. So okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I just moved here. And then I'm like, no, I'm, I think I'm getting older now. So okay, no, I've okay. been here like 20 years. But uh, but yeah, I um, I got started in real estate sort of by accident. My uh, job that I had for seven years, I sold, uh, if any of you can remember, you remember beepers, pagers? <laughs> pagers, kind of. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was the pager dude. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was hawking pagers. And needless to say, uh, you know, back in 03, pagers sort of stopped being real useful, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, but it, but it happened really fast. I mean, we went from killing it to just dead in yeah. like six months. And, Do people uh, use, so still use pagers? You know what? I saw somebody using a pager last week, and I'm like, you got to be kidding. Who no uses way. that? No way. Yeah. I, I could swear but- people still use them, like, because they don't want, like, doctors may use them because they don't want to yeah. give out their cell phone for a text or, you know? Yeah. Which, 
to each his own. <laughs> I guess that's what I did. But uh, <clears throat> you know, one day I, I was I had kind of gotten to the point where I was managing about twelve or thirteen people there, and uh, and uh, running about ten million dollars a year uh, of revenue for this company. And they had me let go my entire staff at 12, and then as soon as I was done doing all the dirty work, they let me go. So I got into real estate. It was something I was interested in. There was a a guy that was somebody who I had worked with in the pager business before, and I stumbled across a check that he had sitting on his desk, and it was for about 30 grand, if I remember. And I said, what is that from? And, you know, me being nosy. And uh, he's like, well, that's from a, a real estate deal that I did. And I said, oh, you got to tell me about that. You know, uh, how long did you own this for? And he said, about five minutes. Wow. Uh, and I said, what do you mean? How much work did you do to it? And he's like, I didn't do any work to it. And, I, and I'm so confused. I'm like, I don't understand anything you're telling me. You bought the house. You sold it in five minutes. You did no work. And you made 30 grand. And he's like, yes, what else do you need to know? You know. <laughs> so from there, I, I got intrigued with it. But I got intrigued with it even before I had left my job or, or lost my job. But it was losing the job that finally forced me to actually do something about it. Because it was up until that point, it was just an interest. And it was a genuine interest. I really wanted to do it, but I was too comfortable with my job to actually do anything about it. And what Once year I was this? Job, that was 2003. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, right. you know, you lose your job and all of a sudden you've got no income and, and you go, well, I got a choice. I can either get another job that I hate, like the one I had. Or I can try to make this work, and so I tried to make it work. And and don't get me wrong, that first that first year, year and a half, it was hard. I mean, I jumped into it with both feet, no training at all. Yeah, made wow. some major mistakes, but you know, here we are a few years later, and I, I think it's one of the best decisions I ever made. So, what were you doing at first? What were some of the things you were you're trying to do and I think I'm going to come up with a course called What Not to Do in Real Estate, and we'll just sum up the first 18 months of my whole business. All right. Um, well, when I first got started, I mean, I got into a rather expensive house, at least for a newbie in the Midwest. I, I bought a house for 255 grand, and uh, back then, you know, average wow. price here in St. Louis is about 150. And so usually nowadays I recommend people stay within that average price right. range, if not maybe a little bit before it, for your first couple of deals anyway. And so I got into this house, you know, I didn't understand how to figure out repair costs and holding holding costs. What's that? I'm going to sell it in like a week, you know. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking for my buddy. And uh, oh so I got into this house at 255, tried to do some renovations. The repairs ended up being double what I thought they were going to be, which is a story now I've heard from hundreds of other investors as well. Yeah. And then when I went to go try to sell it, you know, I didn't fix it up as nice as some of the other ones were fixed up. And then I had my price higher. I mean, I just, I, I can't even tell you the amount of lessons I learned from this, but I started doing some rehab stuff. And my first one being a total flop, um, I lost money. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I lost a lot of money. I, I lost more than I could afford to lose. I lost, uh, granted, this wasn't a fast rip the Band-Aid off kind of a thing. I lost this money over the course of five years. Yeah, it didn't sell. So after it didn't sell, I had to rent it out, and I rented it out every month at a loss. Hmm. And so the grand total of what I lost on this deal was a whopping $86,000 on this first deal. You just sold it recently. I didn't have 86 grand to lose. What's that? You just sold it recently, didn't you? 
Well, it's been sold now, going on probably I don't know, maybe three or four years. Oh, okay. It's 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 been a little while now, but the the challenge is I bought it in an up market, and then I sold it finally <laughs> in a down market. So, you know, it it was a, a lot of lessons there. I mean, I I learned how to value a property correctly. I learned how to be very very conservative in my valuations. Um, in other words, I was planning everything based on a best case scenario, and when the best case scenario didn't work out, you know, I started to panic because that's what my plan was. So now, the biggest thing I recommend for new investors is plan everything based on the worst case scenario. If you think the repairs are going to be here, I want you to plan on them being here. That way, anything less than that's going to be a bonus. I always plan my repairs here, and then one hiccup that made them jump up to here, I'd start freaking out and stressing out, which. Every single time I've heard of anyone do a rehab, they're always going over budget a little bit, you know. So you might as well just plan to go way over budget, and then when you come in under, it's kind of a nice surprise. Well, that's so easy to do when you're calculating your offer, isn't it? I mean, if you know, if you think rehab costs are going to be twenty-five grand, it's so easy Mm -hmm. just to add ten to fifteen percent to that and make that part of your offer. That 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 price that you don't go any higher than. That's good advice. Well, and it, and just, if you're new, you really should be adding more like forty percent to that number because <laughs> you're gonna you're not gonna recognize things that need to be maybe even fifty percent. And uh, you know my my repairs, I thought I was gonna be able to get into this house and fix the property up for ten grand. Well, then it cost me twenty. Wow. I mean that's a hundred percent off. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was not anywhere near my uh, my number. Now, granted, that was only ten grand in repairs. Could you imagine if I was off the same percentage, but the repairs were fifty thousand? Wow. You know, now all of a sudden my repairs are a hundred. And yeah, he's waving like oh, I've done that. And you know, <laughs> yes. we, we get students come to us all the time now that say that's what happened to me, and it and it either put them out of business or came real close to putting them out of business. And then they come to me saying, show me how to get out from underneath this. So right. the biggest thing I can tell new people getting started is be conservative. But this is a little bit of a mind game, too, because when you're first getting started, if you don't get a deal accepted within your first week, you feel like you're wasting time. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times I tell these new guys, I say, listen, with as conservative as you need to be in your numbers, both in after repair value, I want you to bring that down, and, and I want you to sell this thing cheaper than you thought you'd have to sell it for. I want, matter of fact, I want you to be the person in the neighborhood that everyone hates because you just lowered all the values in the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> and uh, if you go in with that mentality, then what usually happens is you price your house so low that everybody starts bidding on it. It creates this feeding frenzy and this bidding war, and you end up selling it for more than list anyway. But that goes against everybody's traditional thinking. So if you go that route, you start out with the after repair value lower, and you figure that your repairs are going to be even more than you thought. It just leaves you more and more room. Uh, but uh, the downside to that is it requires you to offer less. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're not going to get as many deals approved up front. But that's fine. And that's okay. And that goes against everything that we feel like yeah. is, you know, I come from like the production line assembly type mentality where let's get one deal in here. We'll get another one. We'll get another one. You know, some of my most successful students, believe it or not, I've got one guy, I, I consider him one of my most successful students. This guy does three, maybe four deals a year. Wow. Now, he's making a whole lot of offers to get to three or four deals a year, but his three or four deals a year, he's pulling six figures in on each deal, and he's got very, wow. very little going on. I mean, this is a guy who's a stay-at-home dad, mm-hmm. 
He hangs out with his kids. He does whatever he wants. He doesn't work very much at all because he's only doing three deals a year. You know, but are they, that goes are against these... everything that we think. In America, we think we want more, 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 more. And that's what I think, too. I have to pull the reins back on myself all the time. That's good. Are those REOs or private sellers that he's dealing with mainly? He does REOs, he does HUDs, and he does uh, auctions. REOs, HUDs, and auctions. Perhaps. So yeah. he's got zero marketing costs as well. Zero. He scours no. the wow. uh, MLS every day. Are you talking about uh, initials yep. RL, Sean? No. Okay. Well, there's another guy, similar business. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I think of who you're talking about now. RL. Anyway. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> the... Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, if it's too, I think no, definitely not. <laughs> All right, well, never mind. But the, um, the guys that are doing this, I think, they're they're looking for motivated sellers in the MLS, and sometimes they're easy to find, and everybody else is looking at them, and and people get discouraged. They think, and everybody's looking at these houses, everybody's making offers on these, but um, you're not going to make any money unless you make offers, and the more offers you make, the better your yeah. chances are. That's good. Absolutely. You know, I've, and I've been sort of a, the short sale guy for a while. The short sales are a little bit different. Um, well, talk about the, your evolution into, with, Sean, talk about your evolution into short sales. Would you mind? Yeah, no, no problem. Well, the first deal I did was that whopping, you know, nasty deal that kept me up awake at night sweating. And, and, oh, and by the way, you know, during the week, I didn't really sweat too much because I just kept busy enough to not think about it. It was every time on Sunday night. Oh, Sunday night I would go to bed, man, and all Sunday night I wouldn't sleep because I'd be thinking, what am I going to do this week to get rid of this place? Yeah. Yeah. And so I started realizing, you know, I, I had always read and heard about these, you know, motivated sellers, and uh, I didn't know what one was until I became one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was that guy thinking, man, if anybody would come here and offer me anything to get rid of this thing, I'd take it. But the problem is I owed more than it was worth at yeah. that point. Yeah. And, um, so the second rehab I did, I, I did a complete 180. I I found a local mentor here in St. Louis, and he's like, man, why are you wasting your time on those $300,000 houses? You need to be working on cheap houses. So my next house I bought in, like, one of the roughest areas of town. I bought this place for fourteen grand. You know, I go from wow. a $300,000 gorgeous four-bedroom to the $14,000 piece of junk in the ghetto, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided to do a, a rehab on this place. And, um, you know, that was a, a, an enormous rehab. I mean, this whole place had to be gutted and everything. I mean, it was literally the back end of it. A tree had fallen through it. So, you know, I kind of tried the same approach with a rehab, but a completely different model. And uh, it worked all right. I mean, it, the rehab that was supposed to take two months ended up taking like seven months and I had more padding in this one, but even still, the repairs ended up going more than what I thought. And then we turned around, we tried to sell it, and it did sell eventually, but I, I, this was one where I packaged it together with a renter in it, and then I sold it off to a landlord as a package, um, which worked, but it really worked by the grace of God. I mean, it should not have worked at all. And uh, I, I think after all that time, we're looking at you know nine months later. I probably made somewhere around twelve grand, of which I ended up splitting that with this guy who was my mentor. So, you know, I walked away with six grand for I don't know how many months, nine, ten, eleven months worth of work, something like that. Wow. And I thought, 
This sucks, man. I mean, with all you the respect, I should have worked at Seven Eleven. Right, and I was working more hours than I was even at my job. The, the beauty about the job, even though I didn't like the job anymore, was that I didn't really work that hard. Um, one thing that I've always been good at is I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a systems guy. I like to build systems, and, and I'm pretty good at that. I, you know, I, I know what I'm good at. And I know there's lots of stuff I'm not good at. But one thing I am pretty good at is putting together systems and, and figuring out what works and doing that over and over again. Good. Um, and so I had my last job to where I could work somewhere around 20 hours a week, and I was making more more money than any of my friends were making. I mean, by far. I mean, 20 hours a week, I can come and go as I please. Uh, I got all the money I want to do with it. I got no debt. To fast forward a year later, I've got my own business. I'm running around 60 hours a week. I'm trying to figure out how to get rehabs done, manage contractors. And on top of it, I'm making six grand over 10 months. And forget about the house that I already did that I lost 86000 on, right? Wow. So I'm really in the hole. So the third deal I did, <laughs> I came across <laughs> this thing called a short sale. And, um, and I worked on it with some friends of mine. I had met some friends in the real estate industry at the time. And I, I worked this short sale with them. And uh, we made twelve grand on the short sale. And it was literally done within a month. Wow. And the whole start to finish, from the time I talked to the homeowner to the time we closed it, which at is really fast for a short sale. Um, but that gave me a taste that, oh, and by the way, in this deal, I had none of my own money tied up. There was no holding costs. There was no repairs, none of that. I bought it. I wholesale it. I made twelve grand, and I'm like, I got to do this again. So I did it again. And you, and wholesaled, one, you wholesaled that house to uh, an investor buyer. Is that right? Let's see. The first one, uh, honestly, I don't remember. It was either the first one or the second one we wholesale it to a wholesale investor buyer. Okay. But, but yeah. it was a double closing? The, the, the point is the process was so easy. You know, I was like, and back then, of course, it was so easy for anybody to get a loan. Even if it wasn't an investor buyer, it was yeah. like, you know, they were in. Yeah. So we just started doing that. We did it over and over again. We got really, really good at it. We turned that into a process that ultimately I ended up uh, teaching other people. And, of course, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 deals later, here we are. 300 deals. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And and by the way, folks, um, <clears throat> Sean may not toot his own horn here, but uh, I will for him. That sounds gross. <laughs> but... <laughs> what I meant to Go say ahead is... Go toot his horn. <laughs> Please. When Sean is probably one of the best teachers out there right now teaching short sales. Um, you know, I, I've, I've never done a short sale in my life, um, but uh, I, I've listened to a lot of other teachers talk on short sales, and I've been in the boot camps, and I've heard Sean teach about this stuff, and there's probably nobody better, honestly, that teaches short sales than what Sean uh, has done and what he's put together. Um, and and we'll, Sean, we'll give out your website later at the end. But um, you still teach yeah. you still teach short sales, um, <clears throat> but talk a little bit about your how things got really really busy for you, and uh, talk yeah. a little bit about the amount of overhead that you had in your business and yep. uh, what you had to do just to survive. This is amazing. Uh, okay, so like I said, I'm kind of a systems guy, so I I like to develop things that I can duplicate and then hopefully see the results from. That's what I did in the business I was in before. 
And uh, that's what got me to be able to work 20 hours a week and where my boss was even okay with me working 20 hours a week, even though my job required 40. It was the results that allowed me to do that. So I thought I'm going to just transfer that knowledge over to the real estate industry and I'm going to create sort of this funnel, if you will, this this, uh, production line uh, of short sales. And so I went out and I started hiring out all the parts of the short sale at first, the parts that I didn't like, and then eventually started hiring out pretty much all of the parts of the short sale. And so in the short sale, you've got these different aspects of things that need to be done really with just about any real estate business. You've got your marketing, which is always step one. You've got to find the leads, right? And then step two, you've got to pre-screen those leads. You've got to figure out which ones are the ones to go after and which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. After that, we go out and we meet the homeowner in a short sale. We, we get them signed up. And, uh, that's where we get the paperwork that we need to have signed up. That's where we start to evaluate the property so that we can then, step four, come back and start to compile our offer and submit it to the lender, right? Yeah. And for those of you that aren't f- familiar with the short sale, I mean, short sale is pretty, pretty common word now. When I started doing them, I was literally teaching banks what they were so that they would accept my short sales. Now most people know, but in case you don't, Let's assume somebody owes $200,000 on a mortgage and it's only worth 150 today. Well, in order for me to buy the house, I have to go in and get the bank to discount what's owed so that I can buy the property at a discount and then hopefully make money on it. Uh, so that's basically a short sale, when a bank takes less than what's owed to avoid foreclosure. So I'm buying these houses from homeowners, so i got to meet them at the house, evaluate the deal. Then I go to step number five, which is negotiating with the lender. And here's where I submit my offer, and I basically I go back and forth, just like if you're buying a car or anything that you negotiate. And I can negotiate with the lender, and if I'm a good negotiator, chances are I can get that lender to come down to an appropriate number that will work for me. And then I can buy the house and go to step number six, which is market the property for sale, so that I can, step number seven, close the deal and cash my check. So essentially that's the short sale. I mean, that's all right. seven steps of it right there. But um, I started systemizing this, and I thought, okay, the first thing that's taking up a lot of my time is answering all the phone calls from my marketing. But I really felt like I needed to do that first. So the first person I hired was a marketing person. And this person went out, and they did all my marketing for me. It was great. It freed up a ton of my time right off the bat. They were doing my mailers. They were setting up my website and all this stuff, and it was great. And so I thought that was so great. It's time to take it to the next level. Uh, I need somebody to start doing my negotiations with the bank for me. So I hired a negotiator, and that started working out pretty well, too. We started closing more deals as a result. Uh, the challenge is both of these people had salaries to go along with them. So keep in mind, I had to pay them regardless of whether or not we closed a deal that month. Okay. <clears throat> so then I t- went on. I hired a third person, which is a marketing person, to sell all my properties for me. So when it comes time, we get an approval from my negotiator. Now we're going to sell the property. I just call up my salesperson. I meet with them. I say, we got another one for you. I hand it off to her. and She goes and does her marketing, and I sit back in the office and, and basically direct people what to do. From there, I hired somebody to go on the appointments, and you can kind of see where this is going. I mean, I, I basically farmed out every aspect of the short sale, and I had gotten my business to a point where we were closing – you know, some months on a slow month, we might close three or four deals. On a busy month, we might close 10. <clears throat> but uh, I was closing somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 short sales a year. And for those of you that do short sales, you know that's that's quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a, a really great aspect about <clears throat> short sales in that 
I don't know many models that you can make as much money on one transaction than you can with a short sale. Um, but the downside is, is that they are a little bit unpredictable. And when I say a little bit unpredictable, you never know when the bank is going to issue you your approval. Yeah. And some banks are really fast at issuing those. Some banks take months and months to issue those. So in order for us to close 60 or 70 uh, deals over the course of a year, at any given moment, we may have 50 in the pipeline. Yeah. And that's to close 60 or 70 throughout the year. So you can see this is, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to keep a, an operation like this up and running. And the challenge with that is, is that I went out and I got all this stuff that I felt like you needed to have in order to run a successful business. I went out and I got a, this absolutely gorgeous office. I renovated this office. I had this really nice, expensive triple net lease that came along with the office, you know, <laughs> got all the nicest furniture to go along in there. And I, you know, I opened a real estate brokerage because I thought, man, we'll, we'll have this really professional wow. looking atmosphere and all this stuff. And what's interesting about that is by the time I add up the office expenses and the, you know, some, we were still had a couple rehabs going on. So I've got interest debts being paid there on the, on the monthly when you add up all that stuff with employee wages and their taxes and their benefits and the office costs and, and uh, um, uh, marketing costs, my marketing had gotten to the point where that was costing me somewhere around five grand a month. Wow. And, and keep in mind, it takes a lot of marketing to do 70 deals per year, right? But when I add all these things up, my monthly expenses grew to be almost $34,000 a month. And Sean, now, talk a little bit about $34,000 a month. <laughs> you built that office because you thought it would impress clients, right? As they would yeah, they'd go to yeah, your yeah. office. Okay, so how many clients ever came to your office? Well, that was what was interesting about it. When I built, when I built out the office, I thought, I'm going to do this bigger and better than anybody else in St. Louis. I want to be the guy that's known for short sales. And because of that, I want to have a professional atmosphere. And I want to even be able to tell people over the phone, you know, Hey, if you're thinking about dealing with anybody else, the first question you need to ask them is, do they have an office that you can physically go to? Because if they don't, I, I used to use this as my little way to, <laughs> to uh, slide my feet. If they don't have a, an office, chances are they're probably working out of their underwear in their basement. You don't want to deal with somebody like that. So just keep that in mind as you go out and shop. So I would use that to help sell my services. Well, over the three years that I had this. That. No, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us now. We're all in T-shirts and hats. You know. uh, but I'm then, not going to stand know. up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, over the course of three years of having this office, I had three people, three, come out wow. to my office. Three, three homeworks. That was it. And they don't come out to us. We always go out to them. What, what good is it going to do me to have them come to me? I got to go to their house and take a look at it. It doesn't do any good. And, and you hated paperwork, right? And now all of a sudden, because oh, you love talking to sellers. That was what you were good at. And all of a sudden, because you hired yeah. all these people because you thought you needed all this help, you were doing the very thing you hated. Talk a little bit about that. <laughs> Well, the one thing that I really liked about the short sale business specifically mm -hmm. is, you know, I do like to, I don't know that I love to negotiate because I'm not a real hard-nosed negotiator. I, I'm not good at doing things that way, but I do like to strategize. I do like to think of, you know, how can I win this game? And since every game is really different in real estate, that's what's always been fun for me. But not only how do you just win the game, but like, 
kind of like we were talking about before with the gentleman who's passing away and wants you to, to uh, buy his house from I'm really into how can I make this a win for the homeowner? And if I can't make it a win for the homeowner, I, I don't ever do it. And um, because of that, I, ha- I feel like I've been able to make a difference in the lives of some of these people that are selling their houses. I mean, I'm dealing with people who are behind in payments or getting ready to be behind, which for any of you that are watching this right now, if you've ever even been close to being behind on a bill, if that concerns you, which it does most people, I mean, that's some of the most stress you can possibly ever have. Mm-hmm. I mean, financial problems is cited as the number one reason in this country for, for divorce. And 50% of marriages are entering in divorce right now. So I, I think, I don't remember the number, but I think it was 76% of those divorces cited financial problems as the reason for their divorce. Wow. And so that's huge. So if I can go in and I can sit down with a homeowner and I can make a difference or maybe even stop a chain that's been going on for years and years and years. I met a, a, a lady. I did a short sale with a woman. This lady was probably in her late 60s. Did a short sale on her house. It, got, it was successful. We got to go through. It was a win for the bank. It was a win for her, and it was definitely a win for us. We made great money on this deal. Six months later, she calls me. She says, hey, can you help out my daughter? She's facing foreclosure also. I get her daughter uh, out of a foreclosure, do a short sale on her house. Six months after that, I do another one with her daughter. we got three generations of people who are losing their house to foreclosure because they've got no financial intelligence at all. And I have the ability to break that chain. If I can get to these people and build a relationship with them and spend a little bit of time with them, I have the ability – to maybe not break the chain forever, but I have the ability to certainly influence that chain and maybe give them some financial intelligence that they didn't have before yeah. to make sure that not only this, not only does this never happen to them again, but it never happens to anyone in their family again because they start to pass this new knowledge down the line. Yeah. So I always really felt a sense of pride in, be, in being able to do that and make money doing it. And the minute I outsourced all of that, I was now the guy at the office Fixing problems. Yeah. I mean, I never got to go on the, home, the appointment with the homeowner. I had outsourced every part of the transaction that I actually got into the business for in the first place. I was focusing on the money rather than focusing on the changing of lives and focusing on, on what it was that really got me juiced and pumped up. And when that happened, combine that. Now, it wasn't long before I was doing that. Now I've got my expenses adding up, and now all I'm doing is fixing the problems from all these other employees that are bringing this to me every day. And it wasn't long before I hated real estate, too, just like I hated my last job. Now, even when I was just starting out in real estate, even though I wasn't very successful with it, I did like certain things about it. you know. And I was having – even though when I first got started, I wasn't making any money yet, I actually liked what I was doing. And I thought, when I do make money at this, I'm going to love it. And when I first started out, I was doing short sales, and I had no expenses and no debt, and my needs were very minimal. When I closed a deal and made fifteen grand, I got to keep all of it. And, and you took your wife forward, out to dinner. You were happy. Everything was good. Yeah. Yep. I remember we, uh, we made a rule. My wife and I said, anytime we close a deal, I don't care if we make a dollar or we make a hundred grand, the rule is we have to go out and we – the minute we close that deal, if we have a closing set up at 10 a.m., we take the rest of the day off and goof off. So, of course, we always made it an effort to schedule our closings at 9 a.m. So, so we could goof off the rest of the day, right? And then that night, we would always go to dinner. We'd always celebrate, just her and I, and we'd hang out. We'd laugh. We'd talk, you know, and it was so much fun. Sometimes we'd go see a comedy show or something like that. And uh, 
And I'll never forget, fast forward a few years into this, I had this whole machine going. And I had all these employees in the, the brokerage and the office and the expenses that come along with it. And I'll never forget, I had just closed one of the biggest deals I had ever closed, if not the biggest. We, we made close to $100,000 on a, on a flip. Um, wow. This is one that I negotiated with the bank. We had no money in it. We literally flipped it. Uh, we wholesaled it and made a hundred grand on this deal. And by anyone's standards, that that's a pretty good deal, I would think. And I remember I got home that day. We had a schedule, a uh, closing schedule for sometime around lunchtime. And I got home and my wife was so excited. She couldn't go with me to closing. She says, where are we going for dinner tonight? What are we going to do tonight? You know, cause it was always like, it was exciting for us because it was our excuse to go goof off yeah, the rest of the day. Yeah. And I, I remember I looked at her and I said, we're not going anywhere. And she's like, well, what's going on? Did it not close? And I said, no, it closed just fine. We're not going anywhere. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, all this did, this bought us three months. We just made a hundred grand. This bought us three months to live. Who cares? There's nothing to celebrate here. Jeez. Forget it. And I wow. slammed the door and I walked off. Wow. And I'll never forget wow. that day. I was so angry because here I had just closed a $100,000 deal, and that literally bought me three months to live. And so my wife looked at me, and she said, she goes, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago when you were on your knees and you were saying, God, please let me just make five grand on a deal. If I just made five grand, I'd be set for a long time. Yeah. And he said, this, she said, this is a really far cry from you being on your knees begging for five grand she said it's it's kind of a shame thank god and for that wives that hard. remind us of those things <laughs> Man, seriously it hit me hard you know wow. yeah yes. and i thought you know what you're right it, that you are exactly right i cannot I, if you would have told me just a few years earlier that i would make a hundred thousand dollars on one deal mm -hmm. i don't even know that i would have believed it that would have been unfathomable to me. And here I made a hundred grand on a deal and I'm in a bad mood. Wow. So it was then, it was that, that moment that I started uh, discussing this new concept called life and air with my now partner, Steve Cook, and uh, started making some massive, massive changes. First thing I noticed is I noticed that I didn't know anyone else in the real estate industry. Excuse me, a little reminder popped up. I didn't know one other person in the real estate industry that, uh, had this sort of this uh, production line like I had and was successful doing it. I know a lot of people who looked like they were successful, but I started going around interviewing some other people that I knew that had businesses like mine. I started asking them. Well, the first thing I did is I started to admit to them where I was struggling and where I felt like I was failing. And the minute I admitted that to them, boom, the floodgates opened wow. up. They all started admitting the same things back to me. Wow. And so of all these people that I interviewed, I didn't find one that absolutely loved life, that had all the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And yet here I meet this other guy on the complete opposite of the end of the spectrum who does three or four deals a year. He's happy as can be. Yeah. He's got all the free time in the world. He makes killer money. His needs are very, very little. So anything he makes above and beyond his needs, it's just bonus. Yeah. Whereas my needs, I had built up my needs to cost somewhere around thirty-four grand a month. That means I have to make thirty-four. That means I have to make roughly eleven hundred dollars a day. That's not even per working day. That's every day, including weekends, before I get to spend a dollar on myself. Well, how much is that a year? That is. Uh... 
34.5 times 12. That's $414,000 a year. $414,000 a year just to survive. That's amazing. So many people yeah. here listening would be happy <laughs> if they could just make one-fourth of that per year. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, I don't want that to confuse people because this is all relative. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about your needs being five grand a month and that being a lot or two grand a month and that being just overwhelmingly a lot. I mean, for some people, I, I would talk to some very, very wealthy people and they'd say, your expenses are only 34 grand a month. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, mine are 300 grand a month. And, you know, to some degree, depending on your business, uh, they may have had a, a successful business. I don't know. But the, here's the point. In the residential real estate flipping world, I've seen so many dozens and dozens of people try to turn the real estate residential flipping business into um, this model, like cars going through a production line, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. The residential real estate business is a small mom-and-pop business, and it's that way for a reason. Notice that there's no publicly traded companies out there that are flipping houses. Why? Because it doesn't happen. It's impossible to do because every house is different. Every house requires a little bit of judgment. Every scenario is a little bit different. This guy that called you, Alex, is he's dying. I mean, that's a different scenario than the person that I just got a phone call from yesterday who just lost their job of 12 years and doesn't have any savings. Okay, So every scenario is different. Every solution is different. And for me, that was one of the things that excited me the most about real estate. But I had hired away every part of that transaction that I enjoyed doing the most. So anymore, my philosophy is very different. I mean, I say go after the portions of, of real estate. That doesn't mean you can't have an assistant or you can't have some help. But another thing that I had a challenge with is that I had so many different hands in the pie of this one short sale that by the time I paid everybody their cut on what they got for helping me with each short sale, there's this little piece of the pie left over for me. Yeah. Not only that, but I've also got the responsibility of all the marketing, managing everyone else, the overhead costs of the office, I've got the, uh, the insurance costs, I've got the holding costs and all this stuff, and everybody else got paid based on their performance. I got paid based on their performance and also uh, had to pay my own expenses as well on top of it. So in a, in a usual business, this is something that oftentimes works. I mean, you look at a McDonald's, for example. you got all these different McDonald's. They know exactly how many employees they need. They know round about how much income each McDonald's is going to bring in. And if the numbers make sense, then they go forward and they build a McDonald's. Right. But that's because they have a system that can be duplicated. The only thing that can be duplicated in my experience in residential real estate is if you're a home builder, because then you can go off a set of plans and you can build the same house or a couple of sets of the same house over and over. When we're dealing with investing and wholesaling and flipping and short sales and all that stuff, it cannot be duplicated the same way every single time. So, you know, my suggestion, and let me get, just give you some guys some real numbers here. This is um, not something that, well, most gurus and speakers are never going to admit the real numbers, but let me tell you the real numbers of what you can make in real estate. Joe, has anybody ever shared that with, with uh, you guys on a podcast of what real numbers look like? Well, Alex and I have talked about real numbers, and we talk about our marketing. I mean, how many leads we need to get to get a deal, but I don't know. I'm not sure what you're going to share. Well, I'm interested. let me share with you. I mean, I've had the privilege now of coaching a couple hundred people all over the United States, uh, and so the beautiful thing about coaching is that 
not only do I get to coach and help make a difference in the lives of other people, but I get to hear every single person's business model. Mm-hmm. And for some of our um, the coaching students that we have in our titanium group, we really get on one-on-one with these people, and we really get intimate with their business and their family and their personal life and everything. So I get to, to see an overview and I really feel blessed because I learn more by being a coach than I could ever possibly give, although I try to give as much as I can. But I get to see everybody's business model. So I know what works. I know what doesn't work. And I know what looks like it works. But when you look at the guy's life, you're going, I don't want right. that guy's life at all. Right. Okay? So here's the real numbers. Here's what you can make in, re- in residential real estate flipping. Uh, first of all, I go out and I speak at an event. And let's say there's 100 people in the room. Um, there's a percentage of those people that will actually do something with what they learned. I don't know what that percentage is, but there's there's a good percentage of people, I would guesstimate probably half, that are never going to do a single thing with anything they learn. So if you're ever worried about sharing one of your deepest, darkest secrets of marketing or something with somebody, forget that. Half the people aren't going to do anything with it anyway. Uh, but the people that do something with it and actually put forth an effort – to make $100,000 in the residential real estate flipping business is pretty easy. There's tons and tons of people making 100 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that even with a full-time job. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you have to be smart on how you're managing your time. But uh, I know plenty of people that either work part-time in their real estate business making six figures a year or have a full-time job and work part-time in their real estate business and, and can pull in six figures a year. Okay, So a big majority can make that. There's a good handful of people that can make around the 250 per year range. These tend to be the ones that are full-time investors. Uh, these are the ones that aren't necessarily focusing on doing a million deals a year, but the ones that they're focusing on are really good deals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and these people, you know, I, I won't say it's as easy to be in that 250 range as it is 100. I mean, lots of people working full-time, in my opinion, can make hundred grand a year doing real estate, which is still good money if you've got no expenses, right? Mm-hmm. $250, a little bit less people, but a lot of people can make that. The superstars are going to make somewhere in the neighborhood of five hundred grand a year, okay? I've known lots of superstars, and these are guys that are considered the big wigs in their market. These guys make between five. Some of them make six hundred grand a year. They're very few and far between. I would say these are the top 3% of real estate investors in your market. You pop up to that million-dollar-a-year mark, and every once in a while you get a guy or a girl that can pop a million-dollar-a-year, but usually they can't be consistent with it. In other words, they can't do that every year. They might have gotten lucky with a deal. Like, for example, I know uh, one of our coaching students just popped a deal. He made about four hundred grand on one flip, and uh, that's great, but that doesn't happen for him all the time. As much as we'd like to think it happens all the time, it doesn't. So he can pop a million dollars in a year. He might be able to get close to that a second year, but most people can't sustain that. So here's the challenge: is that you just did the numbers. What what was my expenses? Four hundred and fifty grand a year. Four hundred fifteen thousand. Four fifteen. Okay. So I, that means that in order for me to maintain that monthly expense, I have to be one of the top one to three percent of investors in the country. I have to. If I slip and fall one bit, I'm out of business. I'll give an example. I've got one of my coaching students right now. This is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. The guy's brilliant. He knows how to flip houses. He has consistently for five years in a row made somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 grand a year. This past year, he only made 300 grand only. He almost went out of business. 
Now, for those wow. of you that are listening, you're thinking, well, how, what a bad manager of money. How could he possibly do that? But again, it's all relative. I don't care if you're making 50 grand a year. If your expenses are 50 or 60 grand a year, or I, I meet people who they make 50 and their expenses are 80 grand a year, you're going backwards. Mm-hmm. So you've got to set the game up to win. So that's what we're teaching now, even more than real estate investing. I know lots of people who have had a very, very re- successful real estate investing business but still don't have the life that they ever wanted. And a lot of that has to do with a couple of things. Number one, they didn't spend any time planning out the life that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Number two, as their income increased, so did their expenses. So many times, like in my case, many times over and above what you were making because you knew you could just make more next month. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the dangers of starting to make really good money in real estate is that you start making really good money. And then I, my mindset started to change to say, rather than saying I should hold off on buying that or I sh- or I should wait until I have the money, I would just say, I'm good at making money now. I'll just get it now and I'll figure out how to make the money to get it to pay for it later on, whether that be an employee or a car. Yeah. And yeah. that's a that's a huge, huge danger. So now we're really encouraging people to start planning out what is it that you want life to look like first, and let's design a business that is going to serve that life that you want rather than your life serving this business, because that's exactly what mine did. Well, Sean, make sense? yes, it does, and that's so good. You, we got to get going here. Um, I'm wondering, can, can we stretch this out to a part two later on and yeah. talk more about how you got out of the pickle you were in? And uh, talk about how your life has changed, how you've eliminated your debt, um, or, or very close to doing that. And uh, I want to ask you more questions specifically on on how, um, what some suggestions that you're giving that you give to new people just getting started in this business. But we're we're out of time. Would it be okay if we interviewed you uh, again later? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll put you on the spot. Yep. You have to say yes. No, no, that's totally. <laughs> yeah, what am I going to say no now? Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, just... we can totally do that. And uh, I actually, I've got uh, a couple of bits of advice for new investors that are starting out that don't have much money to invest in their marketing. And by the way, I don't think you need a lot of money to invest in your marketing. Really, I think you need hardly any at all. And so I do have some stuff like that that I'd like to share. And I'm happy to share that with you guys. So Excellent. let's definitely do that. So, Sean, is there a good website people can go to to get more information about you, um, Life and Air, Short Sales? Yeah, there's uh, there's two. One is shortsalewealth.com. Okay. Uh, short sale wealth. Uh, sale is S-A-L-E, not S-E-L-L. Shortsalewealth.com. That's my short sale site. Or, you know, we've, we've sort of tied – I know I didn't explain too much what Life and Air is, but Life and Air is sort of our approach to real estate now. And uh, that's what I'm talking about, setting up your real estate business to serve you rather than it. And so you can check out a little bit more of that at lifeandair.com. It's L-I-F-E-O-N-A-I-R-E.com. Just think of uh, think of the word millionaire, but think of a millionaire with a life. Yeah. Because believe it or not, I know a lot of millionaires that are just miserable, miserable people. Yeah. And I want you to make as much money as you can possibly make this year. Don't get me wrong. I want you to make tons of it. But I also want you to really enjoy the process and not be stuck like how I started to get myself stuck where you wake up every day and you go, I hate this. <laughs> so let's do part two. We'll oh, more fun. that sounds awesome. Thank you very much, Sean. Guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. You will get the show notes. You know, I'll have those links that Sean just gave on the website. Um, so go to the realestateinvestingmastery.com and we'll have more information about Sean. And uh, you can listen to a replay of this podcast there on that website. So thanks, Sean. We'll talk real soon. All right, man. Thanks, Sean.
I think I'm okay. I'm hoping this. Uh, Do we have to change shirts? <laughs> <laughs> you probably should get some pants I'm just on. I'm going to put a wife beater on for part two. <laughs> you should get some pants on, Alex. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs>